ask me why I'm always teasing you. You hate to have me call you pretty baby. Whether you like it or not, there's going to be a big change around here, and it starts tonight. Hello, all you beautiful people that are listening to the Queens and Rebels podcast. I am your host. My name is Marta, and I'm recording from a small IKEA table uh, in my bedroom that I use as my makeup table. Uh, Very glamorous. (laughs) Not really. Um, So before I even jump into anything, first of all, I want to apologize for the sound quality in my previous episode because I plugged in my microphone, but I didn't turn it on. So the sound was recorded through the laptop. That's why it sounds off. Even though I don't use the highest quality microphone, I bought a cheap one of Amazon, but it still makes a difference. Um, at least to me, it does when I listen to these episodes played back when I add it. Secondly, another stupid thing I did. <laughs> so this is Recording number two of the day, I tried to record an episode and um, I decided the best place to do so is in the bathroom because it seems to be the quietest room in the house, especially I can mention, you know, there is construction going on and you could hear it through the windows. Um, Also, there was a driveway that one of the neighbors was repaving, so it was really, really noisy. Another neighbor was doing something as well, and they were playing their music that could be picked up uh, through my bedroom window that faces the main road in the neighborhood. And I felt so smart and accomplished (laughs) to come up with an idea to uh, record... uh, essentially in my bathtub, because that's where I was sitting. But the problem with that was, and I think anyone who is familiar with anything to do with audio can tell you that in a small room, you will get a lot of echo and a lot of feedback. So the sound quality was horrific. And I wanted to do my Lady Sappho some justice. And I decided, uh, three hours in, (laughs) I decided to go back and I decided to re-record it's um, 7.30 p.m. right now. I just had some coffee, aka some coffee and I'm uh, tired, but also hyped up in a weird, tired way. I've recorded one episode in the morning, and then I got back to it. As I said, it took me about an hour and a half of editing to decide I need to scrap it. I just cannot describe what an assault on my ears it was. It would be just a sin to willingly put you through listening to what I was hearing. Uh, So here I am, back to my bedroom, which I think will be my recording spot in the house. And uh, my cat just came in. He loves to be around wherever I'm at. He's staring at me because I'm pretty sure he thinks I'm crazy that I'm just talking to myself. <laughs> Usually I'm talking, to, I talk to him, not just to myself, but anyway. Oh, and then other cat news, which is the most important kind of news in my world is cat news. My cat no longer sits in the garage for hours on end. And that was someone on the motorcycle. So as you can see, the outdoor sound really carries into my house. Back to what I was saying, my cat no longer sits in the garage for hours on end because I'm pretty sure he murdered the cricket that was 
hiding in the garage or maybe when we opened um, the door the cricket just hopped out but I can no longer hear the chirping and his interest weaned. He does go into the garage from time to time just because I think he's interested, like all cats, to be in a room that is usually off limits. But I'm happy he does not sit there for hours on end because I like to have him around. He's my little buddy and he definitely adds a feeling of coziness, um, just having a pet around in the same space as you. And in general, me and my husband were both crazy cat people, even though my husband doesn't admit it as willingly as I do. Uh, we love to know that our cat is around and our cat is an indoor cat. Uh, we walk him on a leash, uh, strictly on a leash. So if you don't see him, we will shake treats just for the peace of mind, even though we know no one let him out, just for the peace of mind of knowing that he's with us. Also, if anyone's wondering what it is like to walk a cat on a leash, I can tell you it is not as bad as you would think. Just because uh, we taught our cat from a very young age, he doesn't really know any other alternative. So when he does see the leash, he sits down and he starts purring. And I definitely feed him treats as well. Uh, so he has positive associations with the leash. It's very boring, but you constantly have to watch them. It's kind of like walking a toddler. Like, it's boring. It's slow. They get fixated on weird things. They move slowly. But as soon as you walk away, there is always some kind of trouble they're in, you know. So he's either tangled or he's trampling some neighboring flowers. Uh, if my neighbors listen, uh, that never happened. <laughs> but uh, back to Sappho, the main subject of today's story. I am very excited to talk about her. I meant to talk about her sooner, but I was bouncing all over the place. I had so many ideas, so many people whom I wanted to talk about. And I finally got around to mentioning Sappho, who's of course a famous poet and potentially um, one of the most famous lesbians out there. And I say potentially because her sexuality is still a source of controversy up to this day. And we will definitely talk about that later. Um, Sappho is a 7th century before our era, lyric genius, really. And she bestowed us with the adjectives such as sapphic and, as I mentioned, lesbian. A part of her work talks of love between women. Um, she has potentially invented um, the Sapphic stanza, which is a poetry meter specifically associated with her work. Sappho's fame as a poet has survived for centuries. She was well known for her talent in the ancient world, just uh, like she is today. So she definitely got her due from her contemporaries. It's not like she was discovered many years later and was acknowledged for her brilliance. Um, she definitely fascinated her contemporaries um, as well as the modern reader. And unfortunately, not a lot survived from her work. It is known that um, she had nine volumes of her poetry that has mostly been lost and that this is in big part due to her having written in Iolic Greek dialect uh, which later scribes uh, who transcribed a lot of these documents in Latin they found this 
dialect very difficult to translate to Latin, and they tended to push her work off to the side. There has been some recent finds that um, are attributed to Sappho, which is great news, because for the longest time, people believed uh, that we found all there is to find when it comes to her work. And fragment of a poem was discovered in 2004. Or also as late as 2012, there was another text that was discovered, which is, um, again, very hopeful news because potentially we can learn more about her through her work and potentially not all sources of her work have been exhausted. Perhaps more will come to light, which will help us to have a better idea of her as an artist and as a person. The difficulty about... uh, talking about Sappho is, well, the biggest difficulty is that there is so little that has been available about her life, so little information, not just about how she identified, but just simple biographical details. In antiquity, she was praised for her talents, and she was equated to a muse. Um, She was very much a celebrity, uh, or as we would describe her as a celebrity in a modern sense. She was also reprimanded for having loose morals later on. We will get back to that later as I talk more about uh, Sappho. Again, you know, it's not that hard to be uh, labeled as a loose woman back in the day, just because well, this is my opinion, because women had so little wiggle room to operate. Like, everything was so strict and stringent that I don't think you had to do a lot to, like, be labeled as loose. I mean, you leave your head uncovered and, and say hello to your neighbor and you're probably a loose woman in their views. So you have to take these labels with a grain of salt. Uh, I mean, uh, she was only uh, seen through a lens of males that interpreted her. So there is a lot of confusion when it comes to unpacking Sappho. And because she was so famous and people as famous as her tend to build up legends around them. And these legends are not necessarily true. It's very hard to sift through all that material and learn facts. What is uh, factual, where we can state as a fact, is that her poetry is very sensual. It is um, very erotic. And again, it her poetry connects her closely with lesbianism. This adds controversy. She's seen as a controversial figure in societies that are controlled by religious morality. And one early church theologian who was copying her lines called her, I quote, a sex crazy whore who sings of her own wantonness, unquote. And this religious controversy, this prism that she was viewed through, continued into the Victorian era where she generated both a lot of interest and a lot of discomfort because her work had a lot to do with sexuality. Recently, she has been claimed by feminists and she has been claimed as a gay icon. And the central nature of her work is embraced, but she still remains a controversial figure, not because she is gay, or I certainly hope people don't see that as something controversial anymore, but because 
Her identity is still largely debated. And again, I will try to break that down as I go. And I want to attempt to give a few biographical uh, facts about Sappho, but as I said, very little remains. I wish there was more. But what we know is that Sappho was born on the island of Lesbos. This is in Greece, and she was born to an aristocratic family between 612 and 615 BCE. And again, even her position in life causes some arguments. Some argue that it was precisely her privileged position that allowed her to choose to be a poet, while others argue that she still had to adhere to the same expectations regardless of her social standing. She still expected to marry as any other woman. A historian, Wendy Slatkin, argues that she was able to become a poet not because of her privilege, but because of the culture that Lesbos held towards women. The women were held in higher regard than the rest of the Greek city-states. And I quote from Wendy Slatkin, Considering the severe restrictions on women's lives, their inability to move freely in society, conduct business, or acquire any type of non-domestic training, it is not surprising to find that no names of important female artists have come down to us from the classical era. Only the poet Sappho received high praise from the Greeks. Plato referred to her as the 12th muse. Specifically, she came not from Athens or Sparta, but from Lesbos, an island whose culture incorporated a high regard for women, unquote. To paraphrase, it was precisely the cultural environment she grew up in that allowed Sephora to become who she was. I think, honestly, it was a combination of both. You cannot disregard the fact that she came from wealth. And, of course, money awards you more freedom in life and uh, more time. Uh, if she was a poor woman, I'm sure she had to dedicate way more physical labor into running a household. And she wouldn't have the same time or even have been awarded the same education as she did. But of course, seeing how the rest of uh, Greek states lacked famous female artists, not because of their ability, um, because certainly women have the ability to create art, but because of the cultural pressures put on them where they were not allowed to do. So I think it is a combination of both. It was her environment and it was her wealth that produced Sappho, as we know. She possibly could have been married to an immensely wealthy man. She possibly could have been widowed in a young age and uh, had a daughter named Cleis. Again, hard to say something as a fact when it comes to Soho. What is accepted as a fact that she came, as I said, from wealth, and she had three brothers. Two of the brothers' names are explicitly mentioned in a papyra, and I will attempt to pronounce her brothers' names, but I have no idea how to. I believe it's Charus, and Laricus, another brother's name, is assumed to be Eurigius based on some restoration efforts and the best guess of what his name was at the time. 
Her mother was named Cleus, so the daughter was named after her grandma, and her father was possibly a foreigner. He was not native to Greece. Her father has a lot of different names he's referred to, but the most frequently used one is Camandronimus. Some suggest uh, that her ancestor, probably the grandfather, gained fame by fighting around Troy's major river called Camander River, and thus this produced uh, the father's name to be Scamandronimus. Everything is murky, but what we can confidently say is that she learned to play the lyre at some point in her life, uh, possibly in childhood, and at some point in her life she started composing songs, aka poetry, um, because her poetry would have been, her poetry called the lyrical poetry would have been sung sometimes by choirs, and it was definitely accompanied by music. Her family was exiled to Sicily twice due to their political views. No surviving work of Sappho's hints at what those views were. This also didn't diminish her fame in Lesbos. The fact that her family was... Um, at some point kicked out, did not reflect poorly on Sappho herself. Physically, she has been described as being short and having a dark complexion. In a dialogue by Plato, she is referred to as beautiful, and she is certainly depicted as a, an attractive woman on painted amphoras, coins, and surviving busts. Um, not a lot um, survives about her factually, but there is certainly enough image-wise to give you an idea how, of how she possibly could have looked. Then again, later tradition describes her as the opposite. Uh, one author said um, that she was, in a quote, very ugly, being short and swarthy, unquote. And another quote says she was, a nightingale with deformed wings and folding a tiny body, unquote. Again, um, these uh, descriptions come later, and to be honest, who cares how she looked like? Uh, it doesn't change the fact that she was a brilliant poet, and I feel like at some point, uh, calling out women on her physical appearance is very broski way to diminish her accomplishments. So, like some ancient Greek broski in a in a toga made of bad sheets, was all like, eh, whatever, she's ugly anyways. And to him, it seemed like an argument, um, a sufficient enough argument to dismiss her, which is, of course, ridiculous. Even the city of her birth is contested. Uh, she lived most of her life in Mytilene, which is the capital of Lesbos, most sources agree that um, this was her birthplace, but some argue it was Eresus uh, that she was born in. It doesn't really make a big difference. Um, she did see Metaline as her home. Um, her style of poetry is called lyrical poetry, meaning that it was performed accompanied by the lyre. And the Library of Alexandria cataloged nine volumes of Sappho's poems. Unfortunately, by the 12th century, a Byzantinian scribe lamented that, I quote, Sappho and her works, the lyrics and the songs, have been trashed by time, unquote. 
few copies were available to begin with. There was no printing press that produced huge quantities of written work, and most of her poems were meant to be recited orally. But these few copies that we had had to survive a lot of disasters, such as fire, flooding, and then just neglect and natural deterioration due to time. And again, a big factor was uh, the loss of uh, their popularity because of the dialect that was used in the poems. The scribes simply found it too much of a headache to transcribe into Latin, which is uh, how a lot of ancient works survived. They were transcribed continuously throughout time and kept uh, alive and kept away from decay. But what we do know is her surviving works deals with uh, various themes of love, loss, and desire. Famously, her work includes same-sex love amongst women, which led some to conclude she herself was a lesbian. In one of her best-known verses, she, um, as the speaker, talks of her envy of, of a man who talks to the girl she desires and... Please cut me some slack. Here it goes. I am going to recite this poem to you. The poem is incomplete, unfortunately. And a lot of people do a much better job reciting poetry. I am not one of those people. Also, I've printed the poem in like tiny size 5 font. That doesn't help. Let me have a sip of coffee before I begin. Okay, here it goes. I apologize in advance. He seems to be an equal of the gods, whoever gets to sit across from you and listen to the sound of your sweet speech so close to him. To your beguiling laughter, oh, it makes my panicked heart go fluttering in my chest. For the moment I catch sight of you, there is no speech left in me. But tongue gags, all at once a faint fever courses down beneath my skin. Eyes no longer capable of sight, a thrumming in the ears, and sweat drips down my body, and shakes lay siege to me all over, and I'm greener than grass. I'm just a little short of dying. So what is clear from this passage, what I tried to convey and probably failed, is it refers to an intense emotion and a passion uh, that the speaker feels for this woman. Again, this connection of her to being a lesbian through her works is a a source of controversy and not because being gay is controversial. The controversy comes from the fact that people say there's too little of her work survives to make that conclusion. Um, Some argue it could have simply been a poet expressing an idea and not something they necessarily practiced. It is possible that she wrote on many subjects, but that works expressing lesbian uh, love just happened to survive. And um, her contemporaries and early critics of her didn't really focus on the erotic lesbian connotations of her work. They mostly focused on her talent. Um, The stories of her ill repute came later from 4th century Athenian comedies um, titled Sappho. And the comedies showed Sappho as the last full character, 
but they showed her uh, to last after many male lovers, and her homosexuality seemed to have uh, bothered Roman authors who came to comment uh, on her love for women as being immoral. Um, so Rome had a very different attitude um, towards homosexuality. Homosexuality definitely existed in Greece, and it definitely existed in Rome, just the attitudes completely flipped. Roman authors and critics fixated on her homosexuality. That topic continued to be popular from then on. References are made to three female companions of hers, Atethis, Telesipa and Megara, with whom uh, she was quoted to have, and again I quote, disgraceful relationships, hinting at the fact that um, she might have had a sexual relationship with these women. To complicate things even more, the very word lesbian had a very different meaning before. Or a verb les- lesbian originally meant to act like someone from Lesbos, and this referred to performing a fellatio, which apparently they were uh, connoisseurs of uh, in Lesbos. Um, and later on, lesbianism uh, came to have the modern definition that we are used to today. Again, more complications um, as her legend unfolds. The most popular love story that is tied to her life is one about an unreciprocated desire for a young man called Phaon. And this uh, unreciprocated love allegedly causes her to jump off a cliff and it ties her to her heterosexual relationship. And this story was added to her legend later and um, is accepted as a work of fiction. Possibly it was a satire uh, that a famous woman known for her love of other women killed herself over a man. Possibly it was an attempt to give her legend a more poetic death. Her celebrity was so huge. A legend around her was built and it was not necessarily on facts. Perhaps someone thought her death as an old unglamorous grandma um, was not worthy of, of the idea of Sappho and she needed to have this tragic, heroic death and they uh, attempted to give her one. In one of his poems, Ovid talks about the supposed tragic love story, but he does refer to her many lesbian affairs. These affairs are supposed to be a matter of the past because now she only loves Faun. But again, this story is fictional and it is accepted as a fact that it is a work of fiction. But this story caught on in a popular imagination and it survived throughout the Renaissance and throughout the 18th century. And in the 18th century, scholars wanted to present Sappho as morally pure. So they wanted to dismiss rumors of her homosexuality as a libel of her enemies And they cling to this tragic love story as proof of her heterosexual love interests. As I keep repeating, what complicates Sappho is the fact that for centuries she has been processed through the lens of heterosexual men. For a long time, homosexuality was not accepted. Therefore, 
Sappho, that was still seen as a genius, couldn't have possibly been homosexual according to those beliefs because this would tarnish her. So a lot of attempts were made to project her as heterosexual. Also, a lot of attempts were made to whitewash her um, general willingness to express her sexuality. Midway through the first century AD, there seemed to be some confusion in Rome on whether there was two Sapphos, one a poet and another a prostitute. And um, perhaps it was an early scholarly attempt to explain away stories of um, Sappho's sexuality by saying that the poet Sappho was uh, this idealized symbol of what femininity, of what proper femininity as defined by this patriarchal society was to be like. And there was another promiscuous Sappho, but don't worry about her, you know, <laughs> which is kind of ridiculous, but, you know, people do ridiculous things. An early 19th century view of Sappho further complicated her image by, again, attempting to whitewash or, or explain away the instances where she referred to love of the same gender. The most persistent theory, scholarly theory, was that Sappho was the head of a girl's school and her interest in her pupils were purely academic. Now, this theory doesn't really have legs or proof, but I will mention it just because it was very persistent. So the idea is, um, and I'm going to quote one of the historians that Lardinoes that subscribes to this idea, is that um, as a leader of a female group, she ex expressed, and I quote, public forms of praise of the general attractiveness of the girl, unquote. So she just casually commented on the attractiveness of, of women as an objective passerby, as a figure as a teacher. I mean, this idea is, is hard to explain just because it's ridiculous. <laughs> and another explanation included her being a part of her all-religious female cult. Again, no evidence. It's now largely dismissed. But because she was a part of this cult, um, she kind of uh, wrote these songs for public occasions um, about female sexuality, and this idea doesn't have legs. That's why when I attempt to explain it, it's hard to do so. It, it's kind of, it's a little comical because what is evident from her work is the the poet describes homoerotic passions, um, and modern scholars have no problem admitting it. Um, the question that remains is, were those passions personal? So those passions definitely were there, but were they a part of her personal identity? We can assume that at least part of the fictionalized Sappho in her poems reflects who she was as a real person. She chose to speak of the female emotional experience while men around her spoke of war and glory. She precisely chose the topic she wanted to speak of, and that topic included same-sex love. It can be discerned that she had a number of close female relationships. Um, again, nature of um, those relationships cannot be specified. 
Uh, fragments of her poem use the word hetaria, meaning um, female friends of, or companions. Um, and the Greek philosopher Maximus of Tyre stated that Sappho loved young women the same uh, way Socrates loved young men. Another proof that her poems could be personal, they did not just reflect the general ideas of the time, is a recently discovered poem called The Brother's Poem. In this poem, she speaks of her hope that a younger brother will grow up honorably and bring her family pride unlike his older sibling. And this poetry could be treated as personal because ancient historian Herodotus collaborates this story, mentioning that Sappho fell out with her brother, the Sharuks, C-H-A-R-A-X-U-S. Anyway, she fell out with this brother who was a merchant and this brother wasted his fortune to buy the freedom of his favorite Egyptian courtesan. Herodotus mentions that she scolded her brother in a song and presumably um, this song is the recently discovered poem which was heard by Herodotus at some point. Also Ovid, a Roman poet, also mentions tensions between Sappho and her brother. The plot of the poem is uh, accepted as being a part of her biography and it details a very personal raw emotions that one would have towards the family. So she prays for her brother, pleading with Aphrodite, I quote, I implore you, do not dominate with hurts and pains, O queen, my heart, unquote. This plea, you can argue, was her attempt to seem very pious because uh, she's mad at her brother, but yet it is a very improper thing to do and is still pray for him. But it can also be seen as something deeply personal because she still loves her brother and she still cares for him. He's still a family member. As I keep saying over and over again, biggest challenge of talking about Sappho's identity is that there is so little to study. Contemporary scholars cataloged around 250 fragments of her work, and many of those fragments consist of a single or few words, and less than 70 contain complete lines. And despite this little surviving work, she still retained fame and fascination in our minds. And fame was not new to Sappho. Uh, She enjoyed a lot of praise from from her contemporaries. She was described as Homer's female counterpart. Um, The island of Lesbos was happy to claim their famous resident, despite her family's exile. Statues were raised in her honor. Her portrait and name appeared on art and currency. The capital of Lesbos, Mytilene, issued uh, Sappho coins 900 years after her death. I mean, that kind of enduring celebrity is amazing. Even Plato, who thought that most poetry does not belong in modern art, praised her talents, calling her the 10th muse. She was widely believed to be one of the greatest poets to exist and was held in high esteem for centuries, Her work was known, her work was recited, and her work at some point was seen as cliché just because it was so used, her concepts were so used. Despite this amazing 
fame. We don't know much about her. And I think this is what continues to fascinate us about Sappho is the fact that there is so much to speculate and so little to know. Even the manner of Sappho's death is unknown. It is widely accepted that she lived well into her old age. This whole jumping off the cliff uh, story was BS and it hinted that she was middle-aged at the time when, when she completed suicide. Again, not true. Grandma Sappho was probably kicking around for a long time. I recently discovered a poem also supports this hypothesis because in the poem she talks about growing old and I quote, my skin was delicate before, but now old age claims it. My hair turned from black to white. My spirit has grown heavy, knees buckled, that once could dance light as fawns, unquote. So this is a clear indication she was able to reach old age. Surprisingly, there is no tomb found dedicated to Sappho and Lesbos, and this leads people to believe she died in a foreign land. Perhaps we will eventually find her tomb. Perhaps this will shed some light on her identity. Who knows? I do think that Lesbos, that was so willing to claim her as a famous resident and was, was so proud of having Sappho as one of um, their own people, would have erected her a worthy tomb. So she must have not died there. But as we were shown, there is still some stuff to discover about Sappho. Not all is lost to time. When it comes to um, to the most alluring question about her, which is her sexual identity, the fact is we do not know. And the thing is, if we were to ask Sappho if she was gay or straight, um, Sappho most likely would not even understand the question, just because this is a very recent way to classify people. In general, in ancient Greece, uh, people were not classified based on their sexual identity. For uh, them, sexuality was not an identity, it was a practice. And people tended to be classified as either free or enslaved or as citizens and non-citizens. Um, so in general, sources are very spare uh, when it comes to female homosexuality in Greece, because most stories were written by men. We do know that uh, homosexuality was seen as normal and it was expressed. And in Plato's Symposium, homosexual women are mentioned, and I quote, uh, they are mentioned as, and I quote, women who do not care for men but have female attachments, unquote. Our views of Sappho's um, homosexuality is, are very much modern, during her lifetime, as I said, it was not, it wouldn't have been a part of her identity, but it was just a sexual practice. And I know it's a little bit hard to, uh, to grasp, even from my own brain, but I remember something my history professor once uh, said, one of my history professors, was that if we were to go back in time, get transported back in time, the culture shock would equate to encountering a civilization on a different planet, just because the way people viewed and processed the world was so entirely foreign and different from the way we do it now. Um, so you have to keep it in mind when we talk about uh, Sappho's self-identity. Perhaps the reason why she didn't identify 
one way or another as um, straight or gay or bisexual um, was because, again, those terms did not exist in her world. And that way of classification and self-identification did not exist. Also keep in mind that until recently, the process of defining her talent and her legend and her psychological analysis fell into male heterosexual hands and it was those men who constituted what proper behavior is and that's how they tried to define Sappho. Her legacy is enduring, that is something you cannot argue with. The fact that uh, the sapphic verse uh, structure lives on everywhere from uh, modern poetry to even Madonna songs is undeniable. And I understand, and I understand the need to claim her as um, a part of the LGBT community just because the community always existed and it does need more representation in modern history. But but it is difficult to do so just because that kind of classification is new to us. Um, so was Sappho gay or not? I do not know. But what I can state as a fact is her work had a lot to do with queer romantic love, with gay romantic love. And that is a fact. That is not something that you can deny and that work can definitely be claimed as a part of LGBTQ history, and it should be claimed as a part of LGBTQ history. Those um, verses are beautiful. They express so much sensuality, so much eroticism when it comes to same-sex women-to-women relations. And it was a part of Sappho's work. And that's where I will conclude my take on Sappho, I have this crazy idea where I want to bake a Swiss roll, specifically a lemon Swiss roll. And I know it's late. I've been talking for about an hour and it will probably take me a few hours to edit. But I'm so hopped up on coffee. Nothing will stop me. (laughs) So um, I will possibly be eating um, a lemon roll um, at like 2 a.m., so please don't judge me. Uh, covered in crumbs, um, swaddled in a blanket. <laughs> I am a creature of quarantine. I'll let you know. <laughs> I'll let you know if I baked one or not. I might hold it off to tomorrow. It depends if my um, reason will take over my madness. Yeah, I do have an idea of who I will be talking about next week. If you are curious, uh, please check back um, with me on Wednesday. I will post a hint on my Instagram. I am curious to hear from my listeners, and I'm definitely curious to learn more about you guys. So hello and thank you to everyone that listened. Uh, I hope you have a wonderful day and a wonderful rest of your week, and I will talk to you next Saturday. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye, beautiful people.